Hello and welcome to another episode of the Big Nickel IDP podcast. I am your host, John Macri, PFF's IDP specialist and data analyst. And this episode, we scour the massive list of 2021's IDP disappointments to pick out a few players who could potentially reignite their fantasy fire and recoup their value in comparison to where they're currently being drafted or valued. So I I know I'm excited to talk about some IDP, IDP bounce back candidates. So let's get it. it with another fun episode that is sure to be full of great conversations as we try and pick out the idps that are poised to do much better than their 2021 season would lead you to believe as well as try to convince you that they maybe don't suck as hard as you might think (laughs) and helping me to do this joining me once again the always great always fun to talk with always making you rethink your idp strategies he is the artist formerly known as dff trip now known (laughs) as football guys trip (laughs) trip how's it going man it's going well man i appreciate you having me on it's exciting to be over at football guys now and another platform to, to share idp with and a bunch of new professionals to uh you know as professional as football fan fantasy football analysts go to, to share <laughs> thoughts with and to rank against it's really been an eye-opening exercise so i appreciate you having me on to talk bounce backs i know we did this last year and this is the the um the episode that i guess i chose because i thought it's the hardest and most interesting to talk about so uh, we, we might talk about a few of my horrible whiffs and you were you know very kind to hop on a podcast and because without the video i know all the your audience doesn't get to see all your eye rolls and head shakes all my terrible things so <laughs> it's great to be on and talk football with you oh uh, yeah that sounds me like me constantly rolling my eyes <laughs> <laughs> No, this is yeah this was a fun one last year we got to talk about a lot of players who honestly i can't even remember i should i probably should have went back and looked at the list i i know i derwin james was on there for me i think that was one of the only ones i actually remember <laughs> uh, just because it was derwin james but uh yeah other than that i i'd be hard pressed to come up with a, even a handful of names that we uh, we we listed, but I'm going to assume that they all panned out. Um, oh yeah, uh, yeah they yeah. were all smash successes, and everybody who listed that episode won their league yeah, for sure. Oh yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> and this is going to be the same thing again. Uh, same exactly. thing again this time. Exactly. That's why we do this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man, yeah. It's uh, you know, it, it is it is a tougher one though. That you, I think you're right. It's you know, it's finding guys that really had like poor years, and and there's you know a, a number of reasons why that could be, and it's kind of up to us to figure out um, what those reasons were and if they're not nearly as bad as what the one season really told us and if they can kind of get back to uh, what we expected of them going into last year, if they can now kind of regain some of that um, production or, or whatever it is that we're looking for from them. So it, it, it will be interesting. Um, we'll see. That we got a pretty good list of names here. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, just, instead of just talking about what – that we could we could pretty much get into it Uh, these are you know idps again like i said who we figured had down years either due to 
injury, uh, defensive scheme or coach or whatever reason we might come up with to fit our narratives, um, including but not limited to like getting Thanos snapped into oblivion last season and now uh, reappearing with us uh, a year later, thanks to the Avengers or more likely a new team or defensive coordinator or just a fresh and, and healthy restart, allowing them to uh, kind of return to what they once were before the blip that was uh, 2021. So we shall see. Are you are you a Marvel guy, Trip? Did that reference uh, resonate with you? A at little all? bit. I, I've okay. seen a couple of movies and I got two little boys. So yes, I I know who Thanos is. So there you go. Perfect. That's good. If I was doing this with uh, with Bobby, uh, IDP Bob, he he would not get the reference. He's probably listening and and he's probably rolling his eyes at the moment. So, so I appreciate you getting the Marvel reference there. Um, but yeah, there, there, like I said, there were a number of disappointments in 2021. Um, not all of them are likely to continue on that path this season. So, so we'll get into it and figure out which ones uh, we think are poised to bounce back here. And uh, let's start things off with one of your guys trip uh, in Denver. Who do you have? Okay. Josie Jewell, the inside linebacker for the Denver Broncos. And I was, I've been really surprised at how late he's been going in drafts that I've been in and how low I see him in rankings that are out there. And uh, He is a guy that has uh, been played his rookie year, rookie contract out in Denver and was re-signed uh, this offseason to a two-year deal for about five and a half per. And he's the only linebacker on that team, inside linebacker, that's going to be making more than about a million dollars this year which I think tells me that they intend to play him before the rest of the players that are on that team, especially when the, based on the news that Baron Browning is playing outside. So I think he's locked and loaded as the green dot wearing full-time linebacker in Denver, and he is not being valued as that. Uh, I, I take the the approach that the the top group of linebackers that I rank are those guys, which I fully expect to play full-time. There are roughly 25 of those guys every year. That puts Josie Jewell right around 25th for me. I don't think he's a great player, but I think he's going to be out there for a thousand snaps. And I think he's good for, you know, 120 tackles or so. Um, I have a hard time adjusting to the 17 game season. So it might be a little higher than that if we're, if we're lucky. So uh, to me, this is kind of a no brainer in a way. Uh, you know, I know there are folks that are on Alex Singleton, but he's he's got $150,000 signing bonus in his pocket. They could cut him and that would be all they would lose if that happened. I think the youngster Jonas Griffith showed okay last year and he's in the mix, but I don't really see a threat with, in, with to Jewel playing a full-time role in Denver. And I'm really surprised that that's not being priced in at all into his cost. Yeah. You're, I think you're right. Like it, it is one of those kind of, I think situations that people are kind of viewing as like an ambiguous, like linebacker group, but like just looking into it a little bit more, like Jewel does seem to be the favorite um, to start, like you said. So, you know, whoever emerges there, whether it, yeah, it, it's right now, it's probably going to be Jose Jewel. Um, I, I mean, I hope it's not Alex Singleton, but he always kind of seems to find his way uh, in there. And I mean, he's a, you know, he's a decent IDP when he does play, but uh, he's still Alex Singleton. He's not a very good player. Um, but, uh, you know, and, and like you said, Jonas Griffith, I, I do think, you know, could be a dark horse for that, that job at some point as well. I think he played really well uh last year and um jewel you know jewel only played what a game and a half last season i think it was before he got hurt and he was a starter mm -hmm. then and uh you know he he you know it was only one game but he actually had a decent game that uh um to open the season and it's funny i think 
I think it was Josie Jewell that Tom uh, Kislingberry described as like his movement ability ability to that of like a pregnant oil tanker or something like that. <laughs> so, I mean, it you know, it's not completely wrong there because yeah, it is. It's a it's a pretty rough group of linebackers overall. But yeah, I'm with you. I think I think Jewell uh, could be yeah, I, or should be the the number one guy to start. Um, Jonas Griffith, again, I, I do like him. I, I know uh, one of our uh, listeners, Jared Benson, president of the Jonas Griffith fan club, is, is a big fan of his as well. And, and he did play well last year as well in uh, in the few games that, that we saw him. So those are kind of the two guys that I think are, are worth shots. Alex Singleton will be like a waiver wire guy that, that we can mm-hmm. take a shot on. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I like Jewel. Well, I think it's interesting to note, too, that Jewel has for the 2021 season a coverage grade of 84.6. It's either because he's awesome or because PFF doesn't score people on what they're not asked to do. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. it's also a super small sample size. (laughs) So so it it is there's always going to be guys that have like, you know, one good, really, really good coverage game, whether it's, you know, consistent throughout a whole season is something else uh, entirely, because I think even Patrick Queen probably has a couple of good coverage games in there. Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, Jose Jewell, uh, bounce back candidate number one. So we'll stick with the linebackers here. Um, and I'll go with one of my guys. So that's Matt Milano uh, of the Buffalo Bills. So whether it was injury or, or whatever the reason, um, Matt Milano is coming off a very un- underwhelming season um, for the second time in a row. But he actually played like 16 games uh, this past year and racked up just 86 total tackles. Uh, ended up being one of the biggest underperformers at the linebacker position on the season. Uh, the way I've kind of calculated that and, and kind of worked out a formula for it, <clears throat> I have a, an article coming out uh, this week actually to talk about uh, IDP production versus expected um, to kind of look at what players should have actually done uh, in their role based on on the league averages and, and things like that. So um, Matt Milano actually had a minus 33.2 tackles versus expected. He was one of the lowest um, in the linebacker group on that list. So it was definitely his least efficient season uh, the past three years. He had a 9.61% uh, tackle efficiency and you know, he's never really been like an elite tackler, but still doesn't typically hit less than that 10% uh, tackle efficiency. So still lower, but not nearly as poor as what uh, 2021 made him out to be. Um, it makes me kind of think that maybe he was dealing with some some injuries there. He's definitely a better player than I think what the box score told us. Um, really should have cleanly hit triple digit tackles last season based on snaps alignment and role. Like I said, in that, that production versus expected model, but we often talk about Milano kind of being this better IDP value versus Tremaine Edmonds every, every off season because they play the same amount, but he can be had much later in drafts than, than Edmonds and, and things like that. It just hasn't worked out the past two seasons. Um, but I'd expect if he's healthy, that he'll have no problems kind of getting back there this season. I think his career high is 101 tackles. So I'll be calling for him to hit uh, a new career high in 2022. Well, I think it's really interesting about Milano is that I, I, what stood out to me too, is that tackle efficiency that you noted too. It was just mm-hmm. astonishingly low, like the yeah. lowest of his career. So it stands to reason that that would bounce back at least a little bit. Uh, the other thing I re- thought was really interesting is to think about this is 
random stat for folks, is that Milano had 86 tackles and 15 tackles for loss. Micah Parsons, who goes 100 picks earlier, had 84 tackles and 20 tackles for loss. Now, granted, Milano had three sacks and Parsons had 13 sacks, and that makes a difference. But if folks are playing in bigger place, big, you know, with not tackle heavy leagues, then Milano should be holding his own there. It's where those, and there's no tackle heavy leagues where he's just astonishingly low. So I, I think it's a really interesting factoid. The other thing I thought was really striking is that Greg Rousseau led the NFL's 4 3 defensive ends in tackle efficiency. Like, well, where did that come from? And it just seems to be something that's a little bit built in their scheme is that their tackle efficiencies for their linebackers are just low. Um, and it can't possibly be as low as it was last year. So I do think there's room for some positive regression on that. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, 100%. I, they were, what, the best defense in football last year um, mm-hmm. as a whole? So, yeah, and that'll change. Like, people are going to expect them to, to repeat that as well. I think, you know, there's going to be some changes there. Uh, it, it just natural regression um, for the defense. But, um, yeah, I do think, I mean, it just makes sense, right? Just looking at his his typical efficiency as a for his career um looking at last season there's just there was a lot kind of going against him that that should even out uh in 2022 so i do think that he'll be as long as he's healthy right that's kind of the main thing he's had some issues staying healthy but um we got to assume health for these guys so i think uh i think he will bounce back um all right, let's uh, let's go with another linebacker here with the with one of your guys, uh, David Long of the Tennessee Titans. Well, this is a bit of a perception bounce back. I feel like because I feel like that David Long played okay last year, but he did miss some time. He mm-hmm. missed six games or so with injury, and so folks kind of forgot about him. But what he did was come in early in the season and win a job from Jayon Brown, and from that time he played 100 percent of snaps in every game in which he was healthy. And that includes those games in which Zach Cunningham was on the team. Zach Cunningham, which a lot of people like, name recognition, led the league in tackles two years ago, I think. That guy never played more than three quarters of snaps in any game he was in Tennessee. Now, could that switch this year? Yeah. I mean, Cunningham's ha- Cunningham has to learn the defense, and maybe that's different. But I feel like Cunningham was pretty much the same guy that we saw in Houston, the guy that's mean and fierce and run defense and just struggles in coverage. Meanwhile, David Long had one of the highest coverage scores in the league from pro football reference which is to say that they're looking at quarterback rating against and his quarterback rating against was 61 which is just remarkably low for a linebacker now can he repeat it we'll see but the fact that it's that low suggests to me that he is the guy they want out 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 there in the field in a full-time role and and the cunningham is more the specialist that fits the rashawn evans role from a couple years ago when he's out there for 600 snaps and Cunningham might be fine for 600 snaps, but Long is the full-time guy. Is the guy that I'm interested in. And so if he plays full-time this season, and like you said, we can't assume injury when we're projecting these guys to start the season, then it stands to reason in my mind that he's a thousand-snap player that will comfortably be in that top LB2 group based on his utilization up to date. Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm with you. They're they're two very different linebackers too right like like you said Cunningham kind of this bigger run defending kind of thumper more like a two down thumper where Long is is a lot smaller kind of fits that more modern linebacker mold um, that can play a a little bit more in coverage and uh, hopefully be able to not be a liability out there against the pass game so I'm with you I'm not a big fan of Cunningham either I I do worry about him being there and eating into David Long's you know opportunities um 
at, at one point, like early, early this offseason, I thought they were going to cut Cunningham because it would have cost them nothing to do it and it would have saved them like 11 million in gap. Yeah. But they they went ahead and, and restructured his contract uh, to keep him there on purpose. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I do think that uh, Mike Vrabel likes Cunningham. Um, mm-hmm. How much he'll play, I it, it's so hard to say right now, but I think feel like he's you know it'll probably be an evener split than than we think um at least to start the year but I, I do think long is the better player um and can and can kind of overcome that uh, at some point this season and definitely be a value but again he's another one of those guys that did miss a little bit of time so staying healthy is the key but mm-hmm. um 10 games made 75 tackles um this pretty solid producer there that's i mean mm-hmm. only about 10, 11 tackles short of what Matt Milano did in, in 16 games. So mm-hmm. um, he, he was an efficient player too when he was on the field. So I, I do like David Long and it would be nice to see him in that full-time role for the full season because I think a lot of IDP people like, IDP, uh, like David Long as well. Um, all right, let's go to one more linebacker here. Um, I got Demario Davis for the New Orleans Saints. So another guy that, really really underperformed last season i remember people were really frustrated with uh, demario davis especially in the second half of of last season he posted just over 100 tackles uh 105 started 16 games never really had like the multiple blow up games that that we kind of hope for especially knowing that this is a guy that rushes the passer a decent amount and and things like that but His best game of the season was week seven. And after that, it was just kind of like average um, production. So still finished as a top 24 linebacker in in most of my leagues anyways. Um, It was like LB 21, somewhere around there. And and that's where I kind of have him ranked again in that range, LB 22. You know, it wouldn't be... I wouldn't be surprised if he exceeds that in, in 2022, considering that, you know, he can be that efficient tackler. And he also has that pass rush upside if he can land a few more sacks um, because he had three last year. Yeah, yeah. Three, three last season. So he's managed at least three sacks in every season since 2017, which is a nice, uh, nice little bit of bonus production there from, from Demario Davis. Uh, it's definitely, you know, his tackle efficiency has been dropping a bit over the years as well, but could also be a result of the Saints being one of the more man-heavy defenses in the NFL. Um, they were fifth, I think, in the NFL in man coverages. So that does hurt linebacker tackling as well. It, you know, it barely cracks the kind of 10% uh, average efficiency for for linebacker tackling uh, in man coverage, where it's about 4% higher in, in, in zone coverages. So those things kind of do make a difference. Um so, you know, with that in mind, he still kind of uh, underperformed as a tackler. I had him at a minus 26.2 tackles versus expected. So I'd imagine he could raise that number up to this year um, closer to probably that 120 tackle range again, uh, again, mm-hmm. if healthy, right? Yeah, similar story to Milano and that just a, I don't know if it's career low tackle efficiency, but lowest since he's been on the Saints. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, he had, and the other one too is that, you know, the sack numbers are low since, since he's been a saint too. And so he's a good pass rusher, does a lot of things. Uh, and in this season, it's just the opportunities weren't quite often as there. Part of it's because he didn't blitz as much. I'm I don't think that's because of a sea change in their defense. I just think it's because they just didn't need that as much. Davenport and Jordan played well. And 
I would expect that to rebound a little bit. And I don't think there's any reason not to expect that tackle efficiency to, reg- to regress to the mean a bit too. And that's, that's another one that stood out to me. I was doing my rankings at football guys. And when I was at dynasty football factory, I was me and one of the guy doing IDPs. Well, now I'm in a, in a group of, of uh, eight people, including myself. And so I'm doing my ranks and kind of plugged in DeMario Davis around LB 12, LB 13, like, you know, kind of where he's been for a while and was absolutely shocked to see I was by far and away the highest yeah so it's just his like you said he just didn't quite perform the expectation but it wasn't because he was hurt it wasn't because right. he played poorly the defense was really good and maybe that's a common theme here between both Milano's defense and Mario Davis's defense maybe there's something to that I don't know I have to look into that mm-hmm. yeah that's interesting I, I would wonder how to kind of pull that exactly but i mean yeah again like he you know he is getting older too um not to say that you know older players can't produce because um i i think he can and he's still one of the better linebackers i think in the nfl like just as far as like mm-hmm. all around kind of can, can can do everything uh even as an older player so he'll still get his opportunities it's just a matter mm-hmm. of if he can you know kind of have a bit more uh, efficient of a season as as a tackler which i think it's possible yeah. and um you know, the Saints defense probably isn't going to change too much, um, you know, keeping their their coaching staff, even though Sean Payton's gone, but still probably be a lot of man heavy uh, coverages. But um, we'll see if uh, he can overcome it. But I do think it'll be a better season for Demario Davis. Um, let us go to the edge position here. So who do you have as your first guy uh, on the edge bounce backs? computer glitch there oh, no, uh, first guy i got is um it's frank clark and i think that we need to start by talking about where frank clark is bouncing back <laughs> from <laughs> because anybody who says that frank clark is a recommended player has got to be thinking something a little crazy so <laughs> i know that the perception of frank clark is that he just must be the worst defensive end in the entire nfl and I know that's true because you, you and I, John, are in a league uh, with Josh Raymer and some other folks at the IDP, um, IDP show uh, podcast, the hosting. And Frank Clark was the very last starting 4-3 defensive end drafted <laughs> in that league. So I know that people are off of this guy. Yeah. <laughs> and when you, when you go down his, his, uh, his numbers, I mean, you can certainly see why. I mean, his numbers have declined every year, uh, you know, from uh, he was in Seattle, what, in 2018 and and had a pretty good season back then. But uh, since his years in Seattle, he's just he's just steadily declined. 13 sacks in, in 2018, eight in 2019, six in 2020, four and a half last year. But what hasn't declined is his playing time. And if, if uh, PFR's grading system of approximate value is of any value, his play really hasn't declined appreciably since then either, which I think would shock folks. And if you look at his PFF grades, he's not dramatically worse. And so it's not just his sack numbers that have dropped, but it's his tackle numbers that have dropped. But if this is a guy that's going to continue to play 700-plus snaps every year because he doesn't have a lot of competition for playing time in Kansas City, it's another guy that, to me, stands to reason that he's going to regress to the mean a bit on some of these numbers. He's a guy that's going to play downhill on a defense that's probably going to be ahead more often than it's not because of Patrick Mahomes on the other side of the football. Uh, he's a guy that's, you know, like we talked about, is going to have more opportunities. This is a defense that seemed to right itself halfway through the season 
Um, he played terribly in the first half. Chris Jones was a failure at defensive end, was good again at defensive tackles, fast rusher. Now they have George Kaloftis in there who replaces uh, Alex Okafor on the other side of him. And so I think there's reason to be optimistic. And at the cost of almost nothing, I think he's a strong bounce back candidate to bounce back from nothing to something. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know I'm one of the people that, that definitely struggles with Frank Clark because even when he gets like late in drafts, I just, I, for whatever reason, I just can't bring myself to draft him, even though I should. You're right. It, it, you know, the amount of snaps that he has, at, you know, there's not many like full-time edge guys that you're going to get that late um he's just he's just been so bad i think it, it, like as far as efficiency and 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 just but i think you're right i think it's a value for where he's going uh in drafts and and you know his pressure rate was it was fine last year it was like 11 11 and a half percent somewhere around there snaps obviously were good but yeah other than that it's just hard to find like the redeeming factors for him other than um that than the playing time so I, uh, I still, I always struggle to take a shot on Frank Clark even late, <laughs> but I, I definitely get the rationale, and I, mm-hmm. and I think he, he probably is worth a shot. I just, I've called him ass so many times on the show <laughs> um, that I, I have to, I have to stay uh, consistent with for the brand here. Um, but no, I, I, I do agree. I think uh, taking a shot on him late, especially like you said, the last four three defensive end <laughs> taken when a lot of the guys that are going that later are basically like pass rush specialists or guys that are not going to have nearly as, as heavy a workload as, as Frank Clark. So uh, I'm with you. I'm definitely with you there. Um, all right. The other guy. Uh, so, okay. So I have uh defensive end chase young of the Washington commanders. So young, another underwhelming uh, player from last season. So one and a half sacks on just 24 pressures, both super underwhelming for a player of his, uh, caliber his supposed caliber caliber coming out right um sack totals definitely could have been better uh regardless you know he had a decent pass rush grade at 71.2 he had a good win rate 13.36 percent those are both above average uh for his position they're not elite but also not as bad as people might assume them to be just based on the one and a half sacks and and people getting really upset with how poor he performed last year so Based on his, you know, his snap totals and, and those marks, I think he should yield better sack, should have yielded better sack results last year. He's another guy that um, is in the IDP production uh, versus expected um, model. He was like negative two or negative three uh, under from what I remember that what he should have been getting in the sack column. So um and a lot of that is based on playing time, but he, you know, he was a decent pass rusher as well. So the biggest kind of hurdle for him i think this year will be avoiding that pup list um which would take him out i think what four games something like that um you know he he still has all the makings of like an elite nfl pass rusher uh, and run defender as well he had an 84.5 run defense grade last year um so i i do think he's a he's kind of a prime bounce pack candidate especially if we're patient with these you know defensive linemen and edge rushers coming out of college we can't always expect them to be nick bosa and hit the ground running even though he was comped very similar to nick bosa um you know it's not comparing apples to apples necessarily especially in a different defense etc so i i do think that chase young could as long as he's healthy avoids that pup list um could have a much much better season uh this year and get back on the uh top defensive end um, Mm -hmm. tier 
I think what's what I struggle with in, in Washington is what is that defense? They came out the blocks. And in my perception, and this is not statistically based or anything, but in my perception, they came out as a defense like the Seahawks did 10 years ago, which is to say, we're just going to line up and out-athlete you. And when you look at Chase Young and Montez Sweat and John Allen and Deron Payne and William Jackson and Kendall Foley, you're like, well, maybe that makes some sense. Didn't work. Well, then they lose Sweat. They lose Young. And they start mixing it up. And they try to start trying to scheme up some pressure. And what they did worked. I mean, they were playing two seventh-round edge defenders with James Smith-Williams and Casey Tuhill. Mm-hmm. And their defense was better somehow than what it, than it was with Sweat and Young on it. So the question in my mind is, is Jack Del Rio learn from that? And do they try to be a little bit more multiple? And do they try to disguise a little bit more what they do? And are they more successful in that? And you got to think so. I mean, for as long as Del Rio has been in the league and he's done different things, it's not like he's running the same defense that he did 10 years ago. I've got to imagine he's learned from that, that the defense can be better. I think that that will help all the players on there, his IDPs and his pass rushers. Right. Yeah. And they, and they leaned more into like a, like more dime personnel as well last year, from what I remember too, like once, um, uh, what's his name? John Bostic uh, got hurt. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they didn't necessarily go right to Jamin Davis and, and play him as a full-time role. Um, they, they cut down his snaps pretty significantly and just played a third uh, safety out there. So guys like uh, Bobby McCain and, and Cameron Curl and Landon Collins were all kind of playing on the field. So yeah, they 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 definitely tried a few things that I I'm, I'm with you. I think they did play a little bit better um, in the second half. So hopefully mm-hmm. that transfers transfers over for them because they do have some good players, like you said, Montez Sweat, Jonathan Allen as well. Um, there's some interesting players on that defense, and I think yeah, it's just a matter of deploying them in the in the right way. And I think you know getting Chase Young going is going to be a big part of that for sure. Mm-hmm. Um. All right, let's go to another one of your guys here. Uh, new Buffalo Bill, uh, Von Miller. That's right. So new Buffalo Bill, Von Miller is none of those guys that might be more of a perception bounce back than the reality bounce back. He's bouncing back from 2020, but he didn't play. And then he, <laughs> in 2021, he, he played with both the Broncos and the Rams. And, and I, as a guy who had a good share, good share of him on fantasy rosters, I remember him as a guy who just – would get close, but no cigar in the middle of the season. And I think that other folks might remember that as well, because he caught on with the Rams and it took a while to, or the defense kept speed. He was a menace in the playoffs. He had four sacks and 16 tackles. And, and, you know, I don't know if he was Von Miller 2015, but he wasn't that far off from it. He was really effective. And so now he gets picked up by the bills and yeah, he's like 32 years old or so. But I think he relands in a really interesting situation. And I know the reaction is going to be, well, he's on a 4-3, and will he play as much? And I've thought about that a good bit, and uh, I've seen a couple interesting takes on that. And the first take is is uh, there's a website out there called CoverOne.net, which is a Bill's Homer webpage. And they looked at what Sean McDermott has done in his past and his track record as a defensive coordinator with, out, with deploying defensive linemen. And what, what they showed was that in those seasons when they had impact pass rushers, they pay, played those rushers at high volumes. Uh, Ten years ago, they had Greg Hardy and Charles Johnson. Those guys were playing 80-plus percent of snaps. Uh, prior to that, he was with the Eagles. He had a guy named Trent Cole playing 80-plus percent of snaps. And when I look at this defensive depth chart right now, you got Von Miller and Greg Rousseau as the ones. You got A.J. Epinesa and Boogie Basham as the twos. To me, there has not been a bigger talent gap between the ones and the twos than there has been since any time that 
Sean McDermott has been the head coach. And the second piece of it is another opportunity to grab more snaps for Von Miller is that it's real easy to, to peg who their starting nickel package is. Who's their Sam? They haven't really hardly played a Sam. They played a Sam, I think, 7% of the snaps last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's what um, – where did I see that? Maybe Tom Kislingberry's data. Uh, a couple of places I've seen that. And But if you go back a couple of years, they have Lorenzo Alexander as, as, as kind of a versatile Sam-type player. He scored, he collected 74 tackles exactly in consecutive years, in 2017, 2018, I think it was. And he was primarily a pass rusher. And now Von Miller has some experience playing in a similar role early in his career where he was collecting 74-some-odd tackles and doing a little bit more stuff in space. And I'll be interested to see if they go back to that. I know that folk, there are guys of football guys that think that he will play that Sam role, and I'm interested to see if that pans out that way. I, he's he's listed, designated as a linebacker on Football Guys' website in part for that reason. So when I got to rank him, my ranking isn't going to look real good for him because I'm ranking him against linebackers. Nevertheless, I'm really high on the guy. I think he is he could be a guy that's available at DE2 prices if you give you DE1 production because I do think that he's probably being a bit undervalued both on the production side and on the volume side. I love that. Yeah, that's a good call because – you're right. I, I think uh, the Bills last year, I can't remember if they were last in the league or or second last. They were definitely near the bottom in like base personnel, right? So three linebackers on the field. Mm-hmm. It was they, it was Milano and, Ed, and Edmonds all the time. So there wasn't really mm-hmm. that, like you said, that Sam. So it, it would make sense. It would be interesting to kind of use him in that way and, and have him um, stay on the field and, and rack up tackles. And you're right. I don't think A.J. Epinesa and uh, Carlos Basham are are going to push him for, for snaps very often that, you know, typically we've seen that rotation there. Um, but yeah, Jerry Hughes, Mario Addison are gone. Those guys are decent pass rushers. Um, so th- there's, there's a big opportunity there. And yeah, he, he really did. I think, I think he looked like peak Von Miller in the playoffs last year. He was, I mean, he had like 10 pressures against the bucks, something like that. Um, then he had, yeah, the big super bowl, two sacks, six pressures. He, he was doing everything, you know, regular season. He was looking like, more recent von miller was like a 74.9 pass rush grade still put up 60 pressures and nine and a half sacks but um that playoff pass rush grade was 92.6 and and 22 sacks with or 22 pressures with four sacks over those four Mm -hmm. games so really really impressive numbers um obviously buffalo believes in him to to pay him and give him that five-year contract too so he's gonna he's gonna get some uh good usage there and i definitely i'm i'm 100 with you i think he could be one of those guys in that especially if he's listed as a de uh on your your fantasy platform he could be a very useful player so it was football outsiders where i saw that stat seven percent base sets That's okay. <laughs> yeah super low um all right, let's go with uh, another defensive end here. I got Demarcus Lawrence uh, of the Dallas Cowboys. So I think I can't remember if we actually talked about Lawrence this, last year. Now that I think about it, I think <laughs> you might have had him last year. <laughs> I'm on him every year, so yeah, there, it, it not, like it literally just came to me. I think I think we might have, and you know, unfortunately, he got hurt, but. I think people forget just how good Demarcus Lawrence is as an NFL like edge defender. He only played 180 pass rush snaps last year because of the injury, but he still put up 
great to elite numbers when he was on the field. Um, he had an 81.3 pass rush grade, which is great. 18.89% uh, win rate, also great. And a 15% pressure rate, which is among the elite uh, for his position. So, you know, those are numbers that we can expect if we, those are stable numbers that we expect to kind of continue or in that range. So, Putting him on like 400 pass rush snaps or so, he can definitely get back to the double-digit sack range, which is what we look for for a guy like Demarcus Lawrence. But um, I don't think those are crazy asks for him, especially you know people think he might be old or injury-prone, whatever the case. I, I, I don't I don't buy into that. There just aren't many guys of of his caliber that you can get in drafts where he's going, which is typically outside like the top 20 uh, edge guys now or defensive ends, depending on what's kind of uh, format you're playing on but for me that's just an easy uh, easy value to take advantage of because he should he should really exceed those expectations in 2022 he's still very very good and if you look at him on the points per game basis over the last five years he's right on the edges of those top five guys that you right. to name off the top of your head and so when people are looking at guys like Rashawn Gary and Max Crosby it's like Maybe those guys outperform him, but there's he he's played as well as those guys have, and oh, yeah. so those the, the Marcus Lawrence is a really good player who is who's undervalued because he just as they like to say can't stay on the field. I'm not a guy that believes that uh, you know that a guy is injury prone per se. Yes, there are guys that occasionally have the soft tissue and just pile up to the point where they can't get on the field anymore. I don't think that Demarcus Lawrence is in that boat yet. I, no. I just think he's had some misfortune, and I I like him to play and another good defense and another a good team that's going to be playing downhill some. <clears throat> oh yeah. Yeah, for sure. So uh, let's do one more uh, edge guy here. Who do you have as your last uh, edge? I think our last guy is Bud Dupree and just real quick, Tennessee Titans. And it's another guy that's free, right? I mean, he's seen <laughs> yeah. doesn't cost a lot. Uh, he's a guy that it took some time to emerge. Uh, you know, he's top for a first round pick of the Steelers. Like, what half a dozen years ago now uh, finally started to emerge late in his career there didn't get extended got um, the uh, big contract with the titans but the problem was is he popped an acl in his last year with with the steelers he's playing reasonably well producing he goes to a defense which really needs help on the edge they got harold landry out there playing a thousand snaps and they, every year they talk about trying to scale him back a little bit to keep him fresh for as a rusher and every year they don't seem to have the bodies to do it <laughs> Dupree tried to come back too early last year. I don't think folks know that. He came back, was not ready to play, and he had to sit back out for another month again. He finally gets back on the field late, and no, he wasn't particularly good. But I just – the cost – the low cost that he's been at, I think that he's a, a functional NFL player who's going to see some volume. He's going to see six or 700 snaps in that edge role opposite Harold Landry out there. I mean, what was the other option? You got Danico Autry, who's okay, but – uh, yeah, I, I just think this is one of those free squares and if, that if you need an edge defender on, on your team, that's worth a look. Uh, so not a lot to say about him other than the fact I just think he's been maligned by, by some misfortune on the health side. It's one ACL, and it's really derailed two seasons now for him. Right. Yeah. So I, and I actually, I do like Danico Autry um, <laughs> a, a fair bit, but yeah, he, you know, and he could play inside too, right? He doesn't necessarily have to be um, the edge guy there, but um, yeah, Bud Dupree again, you know, the volume I think will be there for him, like you said, um, as long as he's healthy. And, you know, I, I think just where you can get him in drafts, um, that volume is key. Um, and like you said, yeah, he wasn't, he wasn't great last year. It was a, 
what do we have of us? 56 pass rush grade, uh, 9% win rate, 9% pressure rate. So some pretty poor numbers. But like you said, he was playing hurt for a lot of the years while he came back early. Um, so yeah, there, there's opportunity for him. And that that's the main thing. If he can kind of turn it around and uh, turn into the player that the Steelers thought they had drafted now in Tennessee. So um, yeah, that is a Bud Dupree call that... Um, yeah, I think he, he gets forgotten about, right? So um, mm-hmm. that, that definitely helps his, his case, uh, especially late in drafts. So let's take a quick ad break here, and we will be right back. What's up, everybody? Josh here with the IDP show. Now, if you've been listening to our show for any amount of time, you've probably heard of Reality Sports Online, the powerful fantasy sports platform where league members get to build and manage their fantasy team like an NFL general manager. But the question is, have you tried it? It's time to see what all the buzz in the Dynasty community is about. And the IDP show is making it happen for listeners. We've partnered up with RSO to offer new members 10% off their annual site fee. Just use promo code IDP show after your 14 day trial is complete. So what are you waiting for? With RSO, you have free agency, multi-year contracts, a rookie draft, multi-team trades, franchise tags, contract extensions, first-round rookie options, automated contract and salary cap functionality, and much, much more. Like we said, it's the closest thing you can get to being an NFL general manager. Think it sounds complicated? It's not. The best thing about Reality Sports Online Fantasy Front Office is that it doesn't take any more time than a standard league. It just requires more strategy. Think you're among the fantasy elite? Well, this is the platform to test your metal. Just remember to use the promo code IDP Show to get 10% off the site fee. Again, that's promo code IDP Show to get 10% off the site fee for your leagues in 2022. Fantasy just got real with Reality Sports Online. All right, we are back uh, on the other side of the break here. We got a few more bounce back candidates. We're going to move into the safety position. Uh, and we'll let Tripp uh, kick us off with his uh, his first safety of the Seattle Seahawks. Who you got? Well, let's start with a big name, Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams is another guy. I've been listing one guy after another. This must become a laughingstock in fantasy community. I really think Jamal Adams is, is really facing too much criticism. I don't think he's as bad as everybody thinks he is right now. Yes, the Seahawks overpaid for him. Yes, you don't need to spend what – is it two firsts or at least a first and a second for two safety? firsts? Yeah. Yeah, well, that doesn't make a lot of sense, <laughs> especially if you decide to let him just sit back there and play a boring plugged into the scheme safety role like they did last year. Well, guess what? That got the defensive coordinator fired. They talked about that. They talked about the fact that they were not as aggressive as they wanted to be. The prime loser of blitz opportunities was Jamal Adams. He blitzed fewer times than at any point in his career. Um, he's built into a system which seemed to confine him a bit. Uh, They played a ton of linebacker snaps, and the linebackers gobbled up a ton of tackles, even then, even though uh, Jamal Adams was still on pace for 100 tackles if he had stayed healthy. So it's not like he was a total bust. It's just that he wasn't the top 
what three safety the people drafted to be. Well, they bring in a new defense this year, and it's a bit of, I guess, optimism on my thinking is that they will find ways to get him more involved in, a, in, in a, the attacking principles of their scheme. I do think it'll be a little more, continue to be a bit conservative. I do think they'll play more too high, maybe more light boxes. They'll show some of the Fangio principles that, that, that they've onboarded these two need coordinators to do, which is uh, Sean Desai, who has experience as a Fangio. Uh, he's his associate head coach as a Fangio disciple who was with the Bears a couple of years ago. And then uh, Clint Hurt is the other guy. But that being said, I think that Pete Carroll is going to – you'll continue, continue to see his influence in the defense. I do expect that they'll resume some blitzing. And as a, one thing folks probably don't know is when uh, – Jamal Adams was playing with the Jets. They had some two high sets and Jamal Adams played effectively in that role. He just doesn't have the range to play single high. No one ever thought that he did. And so to get him in a defense that's going to not expose his weaknesses so much will help him. The big question is, do they play him out of structure? Do they use him to rove the way that say the Chargers do or the the Panthers do with Jeremy Chin? And that's really the big question. And when I'm looking at safeties, I'm looking to swing a a hit a home run because I can get a guy that will hit eight points Mm -hmm. a game. I mean, that's that's easy to do. You just need to find a guy that plays full time. The question is, can I get a guy that plays 12 points, collects 12 fantasy points a game because I'm getting sacks and, and, and big plays. And I think that Jamal Adams is one of the very few guys where you can really take a big swing and have some reasonable su- chance of, of success in that space. And so I'm, I'm big on Jamal Adams in that. I think that, I think that the defense will be changed to his benefit. <clears throat> yeah, no, I'm with you. And I mean, at the very least, he should have more than zero sacks uh, this, yeah. <laughs> this season. Right. Um, I think that was one of the things that people found frustrating with him last year too, right? He came off a nine and a half sack season. He still mm-hmm. rushed the passer, you know, a, a little bit, I think 51 attempts. So um, there, there's definitely uh, an in-between there that I think we can expect from him uh, this season. And yeah, like you said, I, he still has one of the more ideal usages for safeties and IDP um, in that he's probably going to spend nearly half his snaps uh, up close to the line of scrimmage in the box or, or right on the line. So um you know, again, with some variance and sack luck, that that's going to help bring those sack numbers back. And you know, it's interesting. There, uh, I think it was ESPN. Yeah, ESPN put out a poll um, last week. I think it might have been where they were polling uh, NFL executives on like the top ten for every position. Jamal Adams still got voted in there uh, as mm-hmm. a top ten safety, so he's still viewed by. Um, people in the league that as one of the top safeties in, in, in the NFL. And, and I mean, even more so Seattle, I'm sure uh, views him as such, especially with that, you know, that contract and what they had to pay to get him. He's, he's going to be on the field and they're going to try to get the most out of him uh, from, from what they mm-hmm. paid too. So yeah, definitely Jamal Adams. I think I still have him as a, a top five safety um, for IDP this season as well. And I, I think he'll have a much, much better season uh, than than what we got uh, last year. And and it was it's not that it was bad last year when he was on the field. He was, like you said, still getting tackles, just didn't mm-hmm. come up with the sack numbers. And and that's, that's where people, I right. think, got a little bit uh, disappointed because they wanted mm-hmm. those huge games. Yeah. yeah, a bust at the safety position is just different in people's mind than a bust at the defensive end position. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you're right. Um, all right, I got a name here. Okay, so admittedly, I'm not in love with this one. Um, it's uh, John Johnson the third of the Cleveland Browns, or as he is known last year as John Johnson the third. 
Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> I do think he's worth talking about because his 2021 season was so bad across the board, uh, especially in comparison to his previous years, right? He had a 6.25% tackle efficiency, which was half of what it was in 2019 and four and a half percentage points lower than what it was in 2020. So my question is, why was he so inefficient? And, you know, ob- the most obvious is going to a new team. His role changed pretty significantly. He was asked to line up deep on an incredibly high 72.2% of his snaps, which was t- the 12th highest rate among safeties that played at least 20% of snaps. But even from a standpoint that he played deep that much, he still performed well below expectations. So, you consider his 900 defensive snaps that he played, he still should have come closer to about 80 tackles just from volume alone, even in that deep role. Um, you know, and there's there's obviously going to be a little bit of variance there, give or take, but it should have been a lot closer than, than, what, uh, than what he put up this past season. So I'll, I'll be curious if this is, like I said, more a result of variance or if the Browns' defensive scheme and the players around him is what really sapped away all of his, his productivity. Uh, because he he was one of the top IDP safeties for a long time when he was with the Rams, but um, it, that changed very quickly last season. So I think either way, you know, considering another 900-ish snap season, again, if healthy, uh, it would be difficult to be as inefficient as he was uh in 2021 so may not bounce back to what he was as a top idp safety but at least a much better season than what we got out of him uh last year well you and i disagreed on several players last time and i'm pretty sure i wasn't right at any of the players that I okay. <laughs> but I'm, I'm gonna stick my foot back and toe back in the water here and disagree no, with you on John Johnson. <laughs> you don't have, you don't have to convince me too hard for this one. I, I like I said I don't love John Johnson. I just don't think he could be as bad, boss. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a conversation. What are you bouncing back from? I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> what, what I what I noticed about John Johnson last year is they came out of the blocks. They played a lot of too high, and they had Ronnie Harrison out there with them, and they kind of graduated to more single highs this season went on and i don't know if that's a, a sample size issue i mean there's 17 games we play in such a small sample size sport mm-hmm. you look at you know baseball and basketball it's probably so much easier to extrapolate stats with fewer players and more games but um that being said is that I, I thought that that was striking and then you know and I, I was on ronnie harrison last year and of course that went poorly until mj stewart got on the field and lit it up in his in his stead <laughs> at least my process wasn't terribly trash right <laughs> all that being said is that is why did john johnson play deep so much is my first question and the first obvious answer is that ronnie harrison would be such a liability deep so it stands to reason that john johnson could play forward more with delphit as his pair however i i feel like that after two years we kind of know what they want john johnson to do right i mean when he was in la he was playing mike snaps after alec ogletree got hurt because they switched from a a lot of they just basically scrapped their nickel looks because they didn't feel like they had a linebacker worth putting on the field. And so right. John Johnson was playing Mike next to Corey Littleton's will. And I don't see that happening again. I, so I'm a little more interested in basically what Delpit has to offer. Just, you know, I, I felt like that he showed okay moving around the, the formation a little bit and that he has some upside. And so that's the guy I'm interested in because I think Ronnie Harrison kind of showed that he's not a full-time player in the NFL last year. I think they re-signed him to play kind of a big nickel role, and that's the, the extent of what they'll do. And I think they want to get 
um, Delpit out, out there two years removed from an Achilles because last year was as effectively in baseball terms his rookie year. Mm-hmm. And he, he showed out okay. I mean, not great, but, you know, he, he, I thought he made progress as the season went on. And I would expect just based on their utilization to date with John Johnson that they like him in that deeper role considering he increased that as the season went on last year. And so and that could be totally wrong. I mean, they, they could come out and do something totally different this year. But I, I, I if out of those two guys, if I'm on the clock and I got to pick a brown safety, I want to dump it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it very well could be like, I, I have Ronnie Harrison starting over Delpit right now, but that, that that's going to be pretty fluid. As soon as there's news that it's going to be Delpit starting, I have no problem switching that. I'm not uh, set in stone on that one. And yeah, John Johnson, he'll, he'll play, but yeah, it's not the ideal IDP role. If it, if you want that, it's, it's either going to be Harrison or, or Delpit and Harrison, you you know, I thought he was, decent as an idp when he was on the field con- considering um the scheme and everything like that last year um but yeah he got hurt as well so that was that was part of the problem and delpit definitely flashed with a few big plays and things like that so um i'm sure they do want to lean into delpit a little bit more at some point um as a starter so it does make sense and and yeah like i said john johnson <laughs> it, it's bouncing back from just like one of the worst well, the worst season that he's had pretty much to just somewhere kind of in between basically is what I'm hoping based on uh, volume alone, really. So um, yeah, let's go on to another safety here. Who do you got uh, from the Eagles? So this is, a, this is a deep reach here. I got Dukowski Tart, and that guy hasn't been fantasy relevant since 2017. <laughs> so we're bouncing back <laughs> way deep here. <laughs> but I think Dukowski Tart's interesting for a few reasons. That 2017 season, uh, he was on pace for under tackles, and he played about 10 games before he got hurt. And it's been a knock on it that he, quote, can't stay healthy. Uh, we talked a little bit about what I think injury prone means. It doesn't mean a bit ago. He was a guy that was drafted second or set in the second round by the 49ers, I think in the 2015 season. And he came in and they tried him at free safety and he was a liability. And when he seemed to find his footing in 2017 is when they switched him to strong safety. And at that time they were playing a four, three under cover one cover three defense that looked a lot like what Seattle was doing, what a lot of teams were doing in that era. And, and subsequent to that, that team evolved Robert Saleh, was really kind of on the verge of he had some he was on he was on thin ice for a while there in San Francisco and he was kind of revived because he brought in a former mentor of his and they implemented the double wide nine in the quarters defense that helped to get them to the Super Bowl. And when that happened, Dukowski Tart kind of fell off the radar as an IDP, but he played okay. He was okay out there as a as a too high safety alongside Jimmy Ward. Well, Saleh left, goes to New York. D'Amico Ryans comes in and he starts showing more variety in what he wants to do. And he has Dukowski Tart playing more deep snaps than he has since, since early in his career. Well, he predictably struggled. He's just not a deep safety. And so what I think is interesting about Tart landing in the, in Philadelphia is they know that. And they know that he's okay in, in, in down close line of scrimmage. They know that he's okay in, in, a, in a split safety look. And they showed a good bit of that last year. They were remarkably conservative in Philadelphia. That defense hardly ever blitzed. That defense sat back, and because they didn't have a lot of talent in the back end. Well, now they have James Bradbury there. They have didn't have a functional safety. They talked up Marcus Epps, but he couldn't overtake the decaying carcass of Rodney McLeod last year at safety. So I'm not really <laughs> thinking that that was legitimate. They've needed a safety for 
for well over 12 months now. And I think that Tart is okay. I think it frees Harris to go back and play deep where he was effective in Minnesota. And I think that he has the opportunity to really just basically got a scheme and situation to do more. Because there's obviously a lot of tackles in the middle of the field to spread around with the extraordinarily high tackle efficiencies that those linebackers in Philadelphia put up last year. And they were bad doing it too. Mm-hmm. So I'm just optimistic there's enough opportunity for Tart to to be a functional safety that again, you can get for free in your fantasy drafts uh, and, and come in there and put and and start pushing hundred tackles the way he did in 2017 uh, based on the scheme and being a functional player. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I hear you. Um, I, yeah, I've never been like crazy about Tart. I, I mean, he did have like a career high in tackles last season it was just 66. Um, but I, yeah, th- there's not a lot of competition there. It's Anthony Harrison. It's him. Basically Kayvon Wallace has shown that he's not a starter. Marcus Epps, those guys. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, the only thing like the, the Eagles last year, I mean, obviously things could change. They were near the bottom of the league in single high coverage rates last year. I think it was like 29th, something like that. So there, there wasn't a ton of that last year that they did. It was a lot of the two high looks. So kind of keeping both safeties out. Um, but you know, if he's if he is the one to to rotate down more over like Anthony Harris, I, the only thing I worry about too is he's not like this great tackler either. He's always kind of been more like average, uh, like as, as just as far as efficiency goes and things like that. And part of that is is the schemes that he comes from as well. So, um, you know, typically for his career, he's been pretty below average as a tackler, which is not ideal and, and likely likely more representative of him as as an idp option i I worry about him but he's one of those guys that um i think you're right the opportunity and the snap volume there's he's he's you know he's a free safety um as in he doesn't cost anything that is (laughs) um in drafts and, and things like that probably could be picked up off waiver wires in a lot of leagues as well even deeper ones so um if you're looking for a guy that yeah is gonna play a a lot it's gonna be jacuski tart i think he's a good option at that point um and and yeah i would like to see the Eagles do a little bit more with him and, and that way we could get a kind of better picture uh, of what uh, he can be as an IDP for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you got one more safety here. Why don't you hit us with the, with that last one? Oh, there's a, a cam curl. It might be another perception bounce back. Uh, <laughs> that guy had, you know, it's you and I talked about these two guys last time, cam curl, Landon Collins. I think both of us ended up being That's wrong. Or we were both right. I, I can't there you go. <laughs> <laughs> glass out full. That's right. Yeah. There you go. I, I just a quick glance at his stats without Landon Collins on the field. He's, you know, was, I think I sent you 20 starts, 147 tackles, something like that. Solid numbers. Right. Mm-hmm. And here he's, he's out there again this year. No Landon Collins to worry about. Strong safety is Bobby McCain next to him playing deep. They drafted Percy Butler, who profiles as another deep guy. So it stands to reason the Cam Curl is going to be close to the line of scrimmage and, yeah. and have plenty of opportunities. So he's a guy I like at cost. Yeah, I love I love Curl. I, I have him, I think, I think I'm at top three uh, in my rankings yeah. this year. So I'm really high mm-hmm. on him. Um, we still don't really know what the role is for Jamin Davis. Again, if they're, if they're going to use him as a full-time linebacker, it, I don't think so, at least not to start the season. So I think there's mm-hmm. an opportunity for Curl to kind of get those Landon Collins box snaps and basically play all over the formation like he he has the last couple of years. He plays in the slot, he plays deep, he plays in the box. He kind of does everything, which I really like about him. Um, and he's a really good tackler. And, and, you know, he didn't have the big plays um, 
like like he did as a rookie. So maybe there's that's where he kind of bounces back, right? Um, I think he went from three interceptions to none last year. Uh, went from one touch defensive touchdown as a rookie to none last year. Two sacks as a rookie to just one. So there's definitely room for for improvement. You know, he posted 99 total tackles last year, so he had a really strong uh, season that way. But I I do think that there's there's room for him to to be even better. Um, so. Mm-hmm. He's uh, he's a great producer. I, I, I like Cameron Curl quite a bit, like I said. So, um, yeah, I'm with you. And if that defense can get better, they could get more big plays. I mean, it's like we talked that's about. the other part, yeah. yeah. For sure. <laughs> All right, let's go to some interior defensive linemen here. And one of the guys I got is J.J. Watt uh, of the Arizona Cardinals. So, obviously – I'm not expecting like a bounce back to peak JJ Watt of like 2012, 2015 uh, in in that range. But at the very least, I think he could become one of the better values in in drafts. And I think in leagues where he is listed as a defensive tackle, he's a really, really good defensive tackle option uh, for those, those types of leagues because he does play as that three, four defensive end. Um, So he may get that classification in true position leagues. Um, but yeah, just one sack uh, in 2021. He got hurt in week seven, didn't return until the wild card round of the playoffs. So was really a bust from like a fantasy perspective, even considering where he was being drafted last offseason. Um, I think what I think is understated about Watt's season last year when he did play is that he still proved to be a really effective pass rusher and, and disrupted the quarterback quite a bit. He posted uh, an elite 13.46 pressure rate uh, from that position and an elite 18.27% win rate to go along with uh, a very good uh, 83.1 pass rush grade. So there's, you know, even at 33 years old, three years of age, there's still like a tiny bit of that, uh, that old JJ Watt uh, in there. And I think if he's healthy and, and playing a full season, um, he, he's going to be one of the better defensive tackle options that, uh, that you could find. I think what's interesting about Watt is that people probably don't remember, but the gap between him performance wise and the next defensive end was almost as big as the gap between Aaron Donald and the next yeah. defensive tackle. Not for as long, obviously, because of injuries and some other things. But the gap was really enormous. And so, yes, he's not as good as he was, but he's still a good player. And he's the one thing that's interesting, too, like you said, if he gets a detackle destination, he spends half of his time, you know, over or outside the tackle. So mm-hmm. he's splitting his time, and you might you naturally have a higher pass rush productivity coming off the edge than you do interior. So it's um, pretty attractive. It's almost a cheat code if he has that interior designation. Yeah. Definitely. Um, oh, I like this next one for uh, that's on your list here. Who do you got from the Panthers? I got Matt Ioannidis, and uh, he, he's a guy that it's, this is a bit of projection on my part because he comes into a pretty crowded depth chart in terms of who's doing what in that defense, and that they got some work to do. They lost Hassan Reddick to free agency, and they have Derek Brown, who and who people will say, oh, well, the current regime drafted him. No, Marty Herney drafted him. And the rumors in Charlotte were that Derek Brown was Marty Herney's guy and that Rule and Snow wanted to trade down and then acquire more assets. And so Derek Brown goes in there. I was not a big Derek Brown guy coming in, nothing on a huge scout or anything, but I was not excited about him. And I was living in South Carolina at the time, so I something I was paying attention to. And I just don't think that he's really shown out as that interior disruptive force that I really think is a key component of this defense. And so assumption of rational coaching, they move Derek Brown and nose and play more him more one technique 
and get Matt Ioannidis on the on the field as a three technique. Matt Ioannidis played for Matt Rule and Phil Snow in college at Temple. They know what they have there. He's a guy that the NFL didn't know what they have. He was a guy that profile is just kind of a part-time rotational run-stopping defensive tackle. But never instead, he was a remarkably efficient pass rusher. I was looking at the PFF's pro pass rush productivity ratings, and he was in the top 10 2017, 2018, and 2019. He was ahead of Cam Hayward in 2018 and 2019 and almost nipped him in 2017. And put up big numbers, big snap numbers, big big um, sack numbers, and so doing, got hurt in 2020, and then the the the, uh, the commanders invested so much in DT that they didn't seem to need him last year, and so they surprisingly cut him. Well, I think he lands in a really good spot process wise. I really like those defenses that use the that have a designated interior disruptor, and I think that Ionis fits that bill for them. The question is, do they think? Right. Both Derek Brown on one side of them and Yeter Most Gross Matos on the other side of them. I don't know, but I think it's possible. I'm excited about him as somebody who could bounce back from next to nothing last year and and possibly put up a low end DT one type season for folks that are in DT required leagues. Yeah, yeah, I think I I like Ionitis and and I was talking with um, Tom Kislingberry on his on his podcast a few weeks ago and and he's a big fan of Ionitis too. I think people are paying attention like know who Matt Ioannidis is he's he's a really kind of underrated uh defensive tackle option I think for for the most part so um he's always had good pass rush numbers like you said um across the board and you know it's been better in previous years but that gives him the opportunity to bounce back here and I think there there is room for him to be on the field quite a bit this season um so he'll, he'll have more than enough opportunity to hit much better numbers than than what he he had the last couple of years in Washington and um yeah, Carolina def- desperately needs it. It's it's basically Brian Burns there right now, but looking mm-hmm. at some of the guys that um, they expect to be starters, I, I'm with you. I don't think Derek Brown is as good as his first-round draft capital, and Yuter Grossmatos has been a disappointment so far, but he's going to be on the field a lot more this season. We'll see if he could turn into anything. But, um, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it's Burns and, and Ioannidis in, in the order that I'd, I'd want the, those defensive linemen in Carolina. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, let us go to Atlanta. I have another defensive tackle, Grady Jarrett. Uh, so Grady Jarrett had just one sack in 2021, but for me, I think he is still better than what that number represents. His 67.2 pass rush grade was, it was average, but he did have a good win rate. 10 and a half percent had an exactly average pressure rate for the position at 7.27%. Um, but what makes him such an underwhelming player from from last season was that he played a very high 495 pass rush snaps. Um, and based on like all those numbers, he probably should have had at least four sacks on the year. Um, he, you know, he had strong tackle numbers, which just just needs to boost um, the pass rush stuff, which we know he's capable of even at, at 29 years uh, old. The volume. I think is still going to be there for him in Atlanta. So that con- conversion rate should at least balance out this season as well, uh, especially after the down year. So a- again, he was the only good pass rusher basically on that Falcons defensive line last season. Um, he received a ton of attention as well. And um, I think it did hurt a lot of his production. I think, you know, they got slightly better, not still not great um, bringing in uh, Arnold Ebichetti in the draft and, um, 
Lorenzo Carter as well, uh, who uh, has made his second appearance on the podcast already today for some reason. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, there, it's it's not still not a great line, but I think Jared is still the best player on there. And I think, yeah, bouncing back from one sack is not a huge call, but I think he can definitely get there. Yeah, as I wrote the IDP draft kit that um, that um, he's just too good of a player to be limited to one sack again. Yeah. Well, I guess I just worry about him is that based on the scheme change, he's a guy I was selling in Dynasty beginning of last year because of the scheme change. And I just I really like to get after those guys that are those designated interior disruptors. And I just that's just not doesn't seem to be what Dean Pease wants to do with his defensive tackles. He's mm-hmm. more interested in having their interior line form up a wall or crush the pocket and rather than get up the field. And I've always wondered, I don't know about PFF pass rush pressures, but I mean, does it, is a pressure a pressure if you push a center back into a quarterback's face versus if you reach around the center and get your hand on the quarterback? Like, yeah. I wonder if there's a difference there, if they're, you know, if not all pressures are created equal. And I, I do think I'm a Clemson homer. I've been on Grady Jarrett from the beginning. <laughs> you know, yeah. I, I love Grady Jarrett, but I just, I just, I just don't know that he's. You know, I used to consider him like one of those top four or five defensive tackles that you would want to chase every year in your DT required leagues, and I, I just don't know that that's the case anymore. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. He, I mean, he's he's getting up there, right? So the the ceiling is going to be limited by you know his ability as it as it kind of tails off, and and just to yeah come back what you said about the pressures too. Like they yeah, all pressures are not created equal um each one is is graded based on like uh speed of the win as well and 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 things like that so yeah pushing a like a bull rush in right into the quarterback's lap depending on how fast that happens um depending on if the offensive lineman is tripped as well uh, on his own uh player or something like that so all those things are kind of taken into account but um yeah I, i hear you i mean that 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 was i think part of the problem with um with george's defense last season in uh with Trayvon Walker right it was a lot more of that kind of read and and rush um pass rush style where he he wasn't able to kind of pin his ears back and go right at it so that people were saying like that could affect you know his his um his productivity as a pass rusher so there's defenses like that in the in the NFL as well even uh New England for example that you get a lot of a lot of that as well even though Matt Judon was a pretty effective pass rusher but there's there's definitely things like that to take into account. So I, I hear you for sure. Um, but man, if, if Grady Jarrett doesn't get more than a sack this year, that'd be a, another massive disappointment. And then <laughs> I, I really can't talk about him ever again because that, that would be brutal. Uh, all right, let's go with uh, one more defensive tackle because we got to show the love to the big guys That's here. Right. Who do you got? David Onyemata from the Saints. And this is... Uh, this is another guy that is, I think is that designated interior disruptor that I really like. And what's interesting about Animata is a Nigerian-born guy who came through Canada, and, and he went through Manitoba. You're not from Manitoba, are you? No, Ontario. No, Ontario. Okay. <laughs> so I, I was anyway, but so he's he's a guy that's your countryman anyhow. Like right, yeah. <laughs> and he's a guy that I like because he he paid his dues. He's one of those guys that's out there running the stunts, needing the linemen for the other DT over the years. Got up into kind of an equal footing game with Sheldon Rankins and outperformed Sheldon Rankins in 2020 and put up you know seven sacks on the season. They had a big breakout season at a fairly advanced age. And then the Saints thought so much of him that they let Rankins go in free agency. They bring they have Anya Mata back. And uh, and 
he's now the featured interior pass rusher. What he has to bounce back from is PED suspensions. I don't know if he's got to take less or stop doing them, but he's got to quit getting suspended because <laughs> the next time he gets, he gets dinged for it, he's out for the year. But if he can stay on the field, he's a guy that the Saints are excited about. He's a guy that the Saints want to put on the edge and generate some pressure. And as for as good as the Saints defense was last year, we never saw the full complement rotation of, of Anyamata, Peyton Turner, the first rounder, Marcus Davenport, and Cam Jordan all in the field at the same time. So there's actually upside in this defense from what we saw last year, which I think is is pretty exciting. Yeah. Uh, and you know you got Shy Tuttle out there playing nose tackle alongside on on Yamada now, so Tuttle's going to set the table for Animada. Animada doesn't need to worry about eating double teams to, for that guy. So I'm, I'm excited about that opportunity, and I, I I speak as a guy that's always chasing uh, sacks on the DT side because I'm generally playing in big play scoring leagues and that's generally where I look for and there are just fewer of those guys I think that Mm -hmm. you can that you know that are featured and I think the pass rush productivity grades is kind of demonstrate that a little bit at least who was in previous years and so that interests me on on the modest side he's a guy that's been top 10 in productivity now for a couple years as well and so I, I like him to to uh to continue on even though he only had two or three sacks last year it was it was you know, underperformed slightly on the number side, but I don't think performance-wise that he was significantly down. I just think folks forgot about him because he missed the first six games. Yeah. Yeah, I like what you said there because you're right. I mean, people look at the sack numbers and don't realize that those aren't the stable things to to kind of pay attention to year after year, right? It's it's more the the advanced pass rush metrics and what kind of player this is. Is he a good pass rusher? And, and everything kind of points to him being one of the better players pass rushers uh from the interior so I, I really like these guys where the sack totals don't paint the the entire picture of how a player actually performed on a season um because it's just there's better indicators of how they'll do kind of going forward so like you said he was suspended the first six games he came back and he did he worked a full complement of snaps every week um so he should get that again this year especially uh with with the way their line is is built right now um but re- what, what i really like about him is he posted some great pass rush numbers so he did he had a 17 uh, percent win rate and a 12.12 percent pressure rate uh, on 32 pressures as well as a 75.3 pass rush grade so really strong numbers um, from the defensive tackle position that we don't get uh, a lot of um, especially um, as it dries up after the top tier guys that are you know that stand out the obvious Aaron Donalds and uh, Chris Joneses of the world but could easily produce much better numbers uh, on a full season. Uh, and if he continues that pass rush prowess, which he seems to to be that guy and that that's kind of who he is. So um, yeah, love that one. And yeah, uh, chalk one up for Canada there and David on Yamada. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Let's um, I think we got one more like actual bounce back and then we'll, we'll get into a couple injury guys um but this is a cornerback let's give some love to the corners who did you have uh in the corner spot that's right yeah i'm, I'm nerding out on all these positions and eating up all the time in the podcast for positions yeah. aren't linebacker and edge so yeah that yeah. may be a throw <laughs> off from the marketing <laughs> folks but <laughs> <laughs> anyhow but yeah I, troy hill is really interesting to me as a bounce back at the cornerback position because he bounced from la to cleveland last year didn't do a lot bounced back to la in a trade i think they got a six-round pick back for him and they put him in there because they lost Darius williams and free agency to the jaguars and they needed another cornerback and said well let's just go get a guy that knows their system the exciting part about that is troy hill was cb6 and db19 i think it was based on fantasy pros scoring in 2020 like well 
he's back where he was. I mean, that's almost like too easy in a way, right? If he got he he, he had an inside outside role, he's starting an inside where you have a slightly higher tackle efficiency, more opportunities to rush the quarterback from there, or at least be disruptive in the backfield playing the star position or a few snaps anyway in LA's defense. David Long is the third cornerback. He plays on the boundary. Jalen Ramsey's going to have to play more on the boundary because he's the only really good cornerback to have uh in this current scheme. Uh so it's almost pretty simple. It's like Deja vu all over again. So, yeah, if you got any quarterback, go get Troy Hill. He's free. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, yeah, what did he? So, I got his numbers here 77 tackles, three interceptions, two touchdowns, a forced fumble that actually led to a touchdown. That was the last time that he was with the Rams. Um, so, mm-hmm. <laughs> some really, really good numbers for a corner there. He was a key contributor on their defense, right? So, it, it will be mm-hmm. nice to have him. Uh, back in LA and hopefully get that production back closer to where it was last time he was there. Cause yeah, it didn't work out for the Browns. I mean, that, that whole, that their whole corner unit, like they just couldn't seem to stay healthy for whatever reason. So um, definitely a disappointing season for Troy Hill. Um, maybe John Johnson needs to come back to the Rams as well. They, they <laughs> both went to, to Cleveland and disappointed. And now maybe it's a chance to come back home and, mm-hmm. and, BIDP heroes again, mm-hmm. but uh, yeah, I do like Troy Hill as a, as a nice uh, corner pickup as well. Um, all right, let's uh, get into some of the injury guys. Was there any guys specifically you want to start with here? Oh, just to touch on Nick Morrow for a minute. Sure. We all touched on last month, last week with the bounce back with the breakout candidates. And right. I just think that Morrow is interesting. He's had 29 starts in his NML career. He's had about 172 tackles, which isn't super exciting, but it's enough that if you're in start a, starting three to four linebackers a week, that's the guy that you want to keep on your radar. And another guy that's free. People don't know that mm-hmm. he's the starter in Chicago. It's a bear-covered situation. New regime comes in, has very little talent to work with. This is a guy that they brought in on free agency. He missed last year entirely because of injury, but he was a contributor for the Raiders for several years and pretty easy, cheap guy to get some basic production out of in a deeper league. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And and you're right. He is, he is basically free because – you know, it's interesting. I think I have a little bit of a theory anyways, like everybody's kind of on Cody Barton, right. As the, as the next guy in Seattle. And I think, you know, the reason for that is they had a high profile IDP there, Bobby Wagner, who's now gone. Right. And everybody wants to know, you know, who's going to take his place. So Cody Barton is the name that everybody's kind of been attracted to, but with the bears changing their, their defense as well. And a new defensive coordinator, Matt Eberflus coming over, um, you get a guy like Nicholas Morrow who now has a chance to play almost probably as many snaps as, as Cody Barton will. Um, but they didn't have that last year with somebody like Danny Trevathan um, or whoever it was, Alec Ogletree even. So there, mm-hmm. there's not that kind of draw to the the second linebacker spot in Chicago that there probably should be now. Um, so yeah, Nicholas Morrow, definitely free, definitely a nice uh, player to that, I don't think there's anybody really that's going to challenge him for that second linebacker spot there. Um, It's like Matthew Adams. I I don't even know who else is, (laughs) who else is there. It's pretty rough. So it's him and Roquan and, and it's going to be a a nice opportunity to put up tackles, especially if he can, if he can play the full season. Well, I'm offended that you're not giving me credit for the Cody Barton breakout call because I haven't written up in the IDP draft yet. Do you? Okay, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> My apologies. You were on it first then. <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, yeah, Cody Barton. Yeah, and, and, and he is. I mean, he's in a nice spot, right? So it's it's a really good uh, 
a, a nice pickup, especially if you could have got it like early in the year, right? Like once, right. yeah, once your yeah. league turned over to the new season. Yep. Yeah, uh, Dynasty uh, Gamers, you traded for him in February, paid nothing for him. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I picked him up for yeah salary minimum in in like early March or something like that, mm-hmm. and. and basically it costs you nothing and then you just got to hold them and hope that they don't draft anybody and or sign a, a big name free agent and sometimes they do and you cut them for free as well but other times mm-hmm. you get lucky and he slips through the cracks so it was okay. that was a good one mm-hmm. um another injury guy at linebacker i put blake martinez uh i mean prior to getting hurt last year the guy had a floor of 144 tackles per season which is pretty insane he's been an elite idp for a while now i think you know there's a chance we could see a decrease in in his tackle efficiency from you know going to like a zone heavy scheme that he's been used to to now maybe more of a man heavy scheme uh with uh with uh, martindale coming over from from the ravens and the difference actually i pulled up the difference between wink martindale's defense and patrick graham who was their defensive coordinator last year was about 15 percent difference from zone to man um so somewhere around about 150 defensive snaps so a, a decent chunk anyways but the main thing for me is that martinez is still among like the most efficient linebackers in the league he's had above 14 percent tackle efficiency in each of the past three seasons um and then you often see these guys who get hurt early in the year underdrafted because they don't have the previous season point totals um that beginner drafters often sort by so he he can mm-hmm. easily be overlooked and i wouldn't be surprised to see him bounce back play 16 17 games and then easily uh, exceed 120 tackles mm-hmm. And if Wing Martindale plays a bunch of man with Darnay Holmes and Aaron Robinson out there, he's just crazy. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that that's true too. That would there even their safeties like there's just nobody in that yeah, defensive like, back. Yeah. Like uh, Xavier McKinney and and Julian Love is really bad. I don't, I don't like mm-hmm. Julian Love. So yeah, yeah. Um, who do you got uh, as a injury bounce back at the edge position? Oh, the guy that's the book. Um, the first guy I got is Zadarius Smith, who's coming over from the Packers and. I guess folks have just forgotten that he's good. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe they thought he was a one-hit wonder in Green Bay. I'm not sure. But, well, I thought he was an awfully good pass rusher after he got – when he got, granted, he played in rotation in Baltimore. He lands in, in the Green Bay, and he looked fantastic, all-pro player. Uh, rushes from everywhere, which, which the Vikings need because they don't have a lot of guys to, to rush. And I just think he's in a good spot there. He's in that – he's in a, one of those Fangio defenses where I think they'll – you know, I guess that's – not really helping him necessarily, but just I, I feel like that there's competent defensive coordination there that he's going to be able to come in and succeed. And it's really just about is his back healthy. So right. uh, he's a guy that's being forgotten about because he doesn't have, like you just said, the, the numbers to sort by from the previous year, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And people are still drafting DJ Wanham for some reason. Um, <laughs> uh, it's going to be nice for Minnesota to not have to rely on DJ Wanham for another r- ridiculous 500 pass rush snaps or whatever it was. But you're right. Zadarius Smith is still one of the better pass rushers, especially in 2020 when we last saw him, 86 pass rush grade, which was like seventh for his position. Um, and 51 total pressures, 15.4% win rate. Uh, there, there's there's a lot to like still as long as he's healthy. Um, and the same thing with this next guy too, another Vikings uh, edge defender and Daniil Hunter. Yeah, yeah, was an elite player. I mean, yeah, for years, and it's real easy to bet on him as a bounce back, right? I mean, not only had high tackle number, high sack numbers, he had high tackle numbers. I'm interested to see if the high tackle numbers stick, but um, 
the high sock numbers. I mean, there was nothing to see last year that would suggest he wasn't the same player that he's always been. Yeah, it's true. And and what was it? It was was it a, a peck injury? Was that what it was? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's not something that you know you expect to kind of linger too much or affect him as, as a player. And you're right. When right. he was on the field last year, he still looked like Daniel Hunter. He was still putting up uh, like a sack a game, and he was still racking up tackles like crazy so mm-hmm. that, that you just don't get that from from the edge position that often that kind of production um so people are going to say that you know he's injury prone now because of the last two seasons but before that he really didn't miss much time i don't think he missed a single game in his career prior to that that neck uh season so mm-hmm. um I, I wouldn't be too worried about it um players i mean players get injured all the time right hunter just happened to do it over a consecutive season and a half span but we're, we're going to ignore that um <laughs> if we're going to ignore the consistency of his previous five seasons because of that i mean i'll, I'll happily scoop up that volume that value every day so um uh we got oh, another yeah. edge guy here who do you got from the lions yeah this is a super deep guy that might just be on waiver wires because he's there's talk that he misses the first half of the season he's coming off an achilles but mm. uh that's romeo aquara and romeo aquara had a breakout season in 2020 he had like 10 sacks for the for the lions and a defense that was outright objectively terrible and um missed last year and that's a defense that is they're announcing that they're switching to more of a four three look I don't think that means a lot, but I do think it means that they do want bigger ends that set the edge, the guys to get upfield. And I don't think that Charles Harris is the lead guy in that in that defense. And so if Romeo Quara can get out there and play, he certainly looked better in 2020. He's a better player in 2020 than Charles Harris was in 2021, even if they had comparable numbers. And so I would look for Hutchinson and Oquara to be the starting defensive. If Harris is that third with Harris as that third rusher uh, coming off coming off the bench. And so he's a guy that, you know, deep, deep leagues, I guess you're paying attention to, but if you're in, he should have a DD tag in those leagues where you're constrained by conventional position designations and it's worth watching. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like even last year, I think he played four games or something like that, but the three game, like he got hurt the fourth game, but the three games where he was healthy, um, he had 16 pressures in those, like in those three games. So he was tied for, uh, third at his position with Joey Bosa, Miles Garrett, and Daniel Hunter um, through those first three games. So, yeah, exactly, right? So he, he was really kind of um, – he was looking good again. Uh, you know, he only had the one sack, but, again, only four games. And, and he very well could have, uh, with those kind of pressure numbers through that s- small sample size, could have put up – could have at least come close to the double-digit sacks again. So, yeah, Um Romeo Quara, good one. And then uh, another one here, one more defensive tackle uh, you, you wanted to talk about. Yeah, let's talk about the bigs. I was real, something really stood out to me on your, on your uh, PFF stats. I was noticing Sebastian Joseph Day, now of the Chargers, same locker room because he was with the Rams the last two years, has led the league interior defenders in, in stop percentage on your run defense stats for folks that have played any reasonable number of snaps 20 percent plus right and i just that really stood out to me and the reason why i noticed it is because i'm kind of realized that i have a bit of a blind spot in predicting these guys who are going to have these big tackle numbers i can't necessarily see christian wilkins having a huge year on the tackle front last year he's a guy that i've been following but clumsy over but <laughs> still, I mean, you know i i'm trying to rectify that and i was really fascinated to see that and so i'm wondering how much of that's aaron donald 
How much of that's the scheme? How much of that's because Sebastian Joseph Day is a good player? But if you led the league and 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 basically market share of run stops as a defensive interior player for two years in a row, I mean, gosh, is he going to do it again or at least be in the top echelon? And because there's a huge difference between him at like 13 to 15 percent, and then and even the guys that are like 10th, they're like at eight percent. And I was really that really struck me as something that stood out. And so he's playing in. A, Staley's scheme again, which he played in what in 20, not 2020. So, you know, I, I'm interested to see if that continues. It's more something I'm monitoring, but again, it's another guy that's not expensive. And for folks that are in tackle heavy leagues, these high volume tacklers like Cam Hayward last year and uh, Austin Johnson, even who's mm-hmm. also with the Chargers now, but there's uh, Christian Wilkins, some of these high, and, uh, what's his name, Leonard Williams. Some of these high tackle guys probably have more value in a tackle heavy league than some of these interior disruptors that we're talking about. We've reckoned that they have 10 sack upside because no one's Aaron Donald except for Aaron Donald. And who we're looking at guys that have 75, 70 tackle upside from the DT, DT position. It's like that probably changes how you need to approach your, your draft and your roster construction in some of these, in some of these tackle heavy leagues. Yeah. Yeah. This is, I, I, I really like this addition for, for the chargers, right? Because yeah, we, you've been talking about it, right? Their run defense last year, it wasn't good for the, the, the chargers wasn't anyways, but they bring mm-hmm. in somebody like Sebastian Joseph day who can now maybe make an impact uh, as a run defender. I mean, their highest graded run defender last year was Derwin James, a safety, right? So <laughs> there's there's definitely a need there. And Kaiser White, who was their best linebacker uh, defending the run, is is gone now as well. So their, their interior guys were like a 73-year-old Linval Joseph and and like a really bad Jerry Tillery. So um, there, there's a definite need there. I, again, volume is going to play into it. And I do like, yeah, I like you saying about the run stop percentage because those things do matter, um, especially, you know, making tackles at or around the line of scrimmage uh, where he's able to win his blocks uh, quickly and cleanly and be able to make a play um, to actually cons- like for a play to count as, a, as an actual stop. Um, so yeah, tackle heavy leagues, absolutely. And, and you know, he has a, I can't remember his grade off the top of my head, but I thought he was a, a decent pass rusher um, from what I remember that that's going off my really bad memory, but um, he, he, I don't think he was one of the the worst, you know, just kind of like a big uh, brick in the middle of the defensive line. He, he was, he had some kind of uh, redeeming qualities as a pass rusher as well, but um, I could pull it up as well, but uh, it, it's a good one. I think there, I, I, I know a lot of people have been excited about, um, him going to the Chargers just in like NFL circles um, mm-hmm. and the, the impact that he can make there. So yeah, 15 pressures last year, 57.8 pass rush grade. So not, not high, but pre- better in the previous years um, with under Staley. So 66.5, 65.4, the previous two seasons. It's just, he doesn't get, a, you know, a, a huge sample size to kind of prove it, but um, still a, a decent player. Plus athlete though. Has some upside in that yeah. space as a younger guy. So come on, came out of a small school and he might develop further. So sure. that's probably don't want probably not looking for more than three snacks stocks from him, but right. So at least he's he's a guy that's going to stay on the field with that ability. <clears throat> yeah, definitely. All right. Um that's it. That's uh that's our huge list. Um, it's a big old list of IDPs that we're banking on having much better seasons than what we got from them in 2021 um will all of them hit 
No, probably not. But I, I'd bet the over on on the majority hitting based on what we talked about today and 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 all the stuff that Trip has laid out for us, which uh, has always got me convinced that these guys are going to do better. So I, I always appreciate that. So uh, a big thank you to my guy Trip for for coming back on the pod to talk IDP with me. Uh, Trip, thank you so much for for sharing your time and, and knowledge with us today. I, I can't thank you enough. Well, I appreciate you having me on. You know, I. It's, it's really an honor to be on with a professional such as yourself who's doing this full time. You know, there's an awful lot of middle-aged fat guys sitting at home thinking they can mix it up with pros. <laughs> yeah, I actually get a chance to come in and do it. And it's really hard. So I hope I got a few hits for everybody out there. <laughs> oh man. I, I, I appreciate the kind words, but I'm, I'm also one of those middle-aged fat guys. So I, <laughs> I, I fill both roles. That's <laughs> oh man. But no, this was fun. I, I I always enjoy getting to talk to you and, and to get your insight because yeah, you always have me kind of rethinking things and, and you, you have a really good perspective on, on how to view IDPs and coming from like a, an actual NFL defense perspective and, and how players are deployed, which I think is really important for IDP and something that I try to incorporate as much as I can into my work as well. And um, yeah, it's always good to get, uh, to get you on here and, and sharing your information. So um, yeah, please, please remind the people where they can find you. Uh, and your work as well. I appreciate it. I'm, I'm on Twitter at Dynasty Trip, and I'm, well, I'm putting out some threads daily just on different IDP projections that, that pique my interest right now. And I'm pushing the folks to the footballguys.com website. I just got on with Football Guys last year. It's, it's a great honor to be there, too. That's a website that I've subscribed to for like 15 years, I think, and a long time reader. And, and there's an opportunity to, and it was the only website I even knew about for like, eight of those 15 years you know they covered fantasy football and so uh, those you know, those are those are guys like john norton and such that i've been reading uh aaron red mickey that i've read their content for a lot of years and it's really cool to be to be writing and ranking alongside of them and so one of the one of the fascinating things about the ranking exercises that i ranked uh, my top 200 idps for the incoming season and uh finished the exercise and posted my rankings and i look back and i realized i was either the high guy or the low guy on 60 of those 100 ranks. And there's eight guys in that list. Oh, like, oh my gosh, they're going to kick me out of here. <laughs> well, they got to at least let the season play out to see, uh, to see if you're right. <laughs> Uh, no, I'm sure. I'm sure they're going to be very happy with your with your work, and I, I, obviously, they wouldn't have brought you on if they hadn't seen the your body of work already. So, uh, I'm looking forward to seeing what you and and the the new gang over there, football guys, uh, brings to the table as well. Because uh, yeah, you got a few of my favorites as well, uh, along with yourself, with Joey and and, and Kyle and, and Evan joining you as well. So that that's always cool to see uh, good people doing good work, uh, and and that being noticed by by these companies like football guys so that's that's awesome man i'm i'm glad you're there and and we get to see more of your work well i appreciate that i appreciate the kind of words it's exciting to be there with such a great team for sure awesome man so again thank you to trip for for coming on uh i have been john macri at pff underscore macri on the tweets uh all of my written work can be found on pff.com you can actually sign up now for a 40 percent off discount on any subscription with the code pff40 uh this week i will be releasing a 
something different. Uh, like I, I mentioned it in this uh, in this podcast about uh, IDP production versus expected. A lot of uh, work went into into kind of building that model. So uh, I've put it out in article form uh, coming this week. So be sure to check that out and and see what it is all about. Um, and yeah, on the next episode, I will be joined by a first-time guest and someone I've been hoping to chat with for a while now from FantasyPoints.com. The great Justin Varnes joins me to discuss our favorite values and sleepers in IDP drafts. So I hope people will tune in for that one as well. And until next time, IDP's out. Mm-hmm.